Harriet Tubman, I probably know who she was. She was born into slavery in 1820. Uh, she en endured a forced servitude in uh, Eastern Maryland. 1849, she escaped, secured her freedom uh, by uh, heading north. Uh, but the condition of her people in slavery in the South uh, moved on her heart. And so this uh, young educated woman that you would think the deck is stacked against her to do anything on a monumental scale uh, did work that we still talk about today. Uh, she was able to, they estimate, to save 300 people from slavery. Uh, slave owners did not like her. They placed a $40,000 bounty on her head, uh, which was a whole lot of money back then. Uh, but everybody that she saved gave her a nickname, and they called her Moses. She was a female deliverer because she saved her people from slavery. Um, reading about her this week uh, in, a, in a Christian book that talked about her life, uh, this is just one statement that caught my eye that she said about her work. She said, I always told God, uh, I'm going to hold steady on to you, and you got to see me through this. I'm going to hold steady on you. That, that's a godly woman right there. God did not let her down, as we know. She was part of what became known as the Underground Railroad. It wasn't really a railroad per se, but it was just the means by which uh, uh, people uh, that cared about people caught in slavery uh, moved to deliver them by using trails and canals and you, you name it to get people to freedom. Uh, and when you, when you read about a young Christian woman like that, uh, uh, she really reflects Esther because uh, many years before her, uh, was a young woman uh, placed in a, a, a situation uh, where she was faced with having to do something. Uh, so they also called uh, Harriet, Harriet the, the conductor. She was like the conductor on the railroad, moving people to safety. And when I was reading her story, I was thinking, well, that was like Esther. Esther was like a conductor. Uh, it's been two weeks since we studied. Brain cells die daily, do they not? And so we need, my, my name is Marty, by the way, in case you have forgotten. So uh, we, we need to like review like uh, what happened before chapter five. Uh, and so we know that the King Xerxes uh, replaced his queen Vashti. I uh, replaced her with Esther, who is a Jew, but he doesn't know it. Uh, she has a well-connected uh, cousin who raised her after her parents died. His name is Mordecai. Uh, and he lets the queen know that the number two man in the government, Haman, this wicked anti-Semite, um, uh, former, well, he's an Amalekite who hates Israel, hates Jews. Uh, he wants to wipe out not just Mordecai, but the entire Jewish uh, uh, nation that were enslaved in the Persian Empire. And so, in the, in, the, in that respect, she uh, here's the news from her cousin Mordecai as to what's going to happen uh, a year from uh, when it was proposed by Haman to uh, actually rid the country of all Jews. Um, this this great Holocaust. He tells her about it. She then rationalizes. Uh, I don't think I can do anything about it because if I go into my husband's throne room unannounced, uh, he either extends the scepter to me uh, and it approves of me, or I get the sword. Uh, could you imagine if your marriage relationship worked this way? Uh, and so uh, she's like, that, that's reality. I don't know if I can do it. Then he said, but, but God has placed you in a situation for such a time as this. That's what Mordecai lays on her. When she processes that and realized, I have been sovereignly placed where God has, uh, has me as the queen, uh, I must do something. So uh, if you remember two weeks ago, when we finished out chapter 4, verse 16, she came to the conclusion that, yes, I'm going to take action like Harriet did. I'm going to take action. Uh, and if I perish, I perish. If I die for a noble clause, cause, I, I die with uh, knowing I did the, that which was right. And so uh, that's where we were at the conclusion of chapter 4. What we want to look at today is, is how she prepared herself for this tense moment. Because she's going to go approach her husband without an invitation. And it literally in the Persian Empire was, 
If you didn't get the scepter of the king ascended down to you from his throne and you touched it, you died. And he was, he was very unpredictable uh, as a husband. We know he drank a lot. He loved to party. Uh, he was ruthless, brutal, all the things that we've studied. Uh, and so um, we think about a young woman like that having great courage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, uh, gives us a, a mindset of, of her life. Think she could have hung her hat on. Uh, Isaiah, who battled evil in his own day, because the Babylonians are going to destroy his country. Uh, and notice what he says. He says, uh, those who wait upon the Lord might gain strength. It doesn't say that, does it? No, they will gain strength. If you wait upon the Lord, he will give you strength for whatever the task is. They will mount up wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. I don't care what kind of shape you are in, and this is probably the most in-shape church in the United States, I would say. Most of you are thinking, I've already been up, it's almost lunchtime, and that's at 7 in the morning. You've been up running, all the things that you do, but you do have limitations. You, you can't run forever, and if you're a walker, I get up, my wife and I like to walk. Uh, there's limitations to just how far we want to walk. In fact, walking in Florida was simple. It's flat. There's no hills. For where we were, uh, it was like flat, but you still could get tired. And so he says, if you wait upon the Lord for what God wants you to do, realize he's going to give you eyes like an eagle. You're going to have wings to fly like an eagle, have the eagle's vantage point to see things, gain great wisdom because they have great eyesight. Uh, and he's going to give you strength that you don't possess to face the evil that you have to take on. Think about Harriet. When she, this educated young woman said, I need to help my people, she could have said a lot of re things why she shouldn't do this. But she, she waited on the, remember she, she said, I'm going to cling to you, Lord. You got to help me. And God helped her. The same thing with Esther. She's going to cling to the Lord in, in fasting and prayer. And then God's going to strengthen her. And so uh, I'm going to say something uh, and I'm going to repeat it multiple times today. So don't, when I say it multiple times, realize that this is for rhetorical effect. This, this is for you to remember because repetition is a wonderful thing, isn't it? When you're in, in pedagogy, when you're teaching, uh, to repeat something is great because it drives it in into the heart and into the mind. So what I'm going to tell you is this. How do you prepare to take on evil like, like a Harriet did, like, like, like Esther did? How do you do that? You're going to do three things. Are you ready? Are, are you ready? Okay. So uh, you're going to get prayed up. You're going to get then, and this is cause effect. You're going to get prayed up. You're going to get then pumped up by God. The Spirit's going to pump you up make you brave for the task at hand. Um, so prayed up and, and pumped up. And then he's going to make you wised up. You follow me? And yes, they sound familiar. <laughs> because once you follow that order, you, I, I spent time before the Lord in prayer and fasting. I got excited then about what God wants me to do. I got wisdom from what he wants me to do. And then I go out and I do it. So the, we could stop the sermon right here. You already got what I'm going to tell you, the whole sermon. But that's not going to happen, right? That'd be a miracle from God. So we need to dive deeper into that because it's just how we roll here. So when you want to take on evil in your lifetime, whether it's in your family, in your marriage, uh, at the Pentagon, wherever it is that you are, you got to do three things. You got to do, you got to get prayed up, pumped up, and wised up. So uh, we're going to talk about that again multiple times. So you ready? So how did she get pre prepared to, to go in and talk to her husband? Well, she spent time fasting and praying for three days, not just her, but all of her entourage, because she's the queen. She challenged Mordecai to have all the Jews that were slaves in the kingdom pray and fast for her, because she's going to go do the hard thing. 
And so that's what we're going to study about, how she went about doing that. So there are eight different movements within this narrative of chapter uh, five, and we're going to follow the, the narrative development as we look at it, how it develops. So how did she get prepared um, to go in and talk to her husband? She got prayed up first, but what wisdom did God give her? We're going to see that. First of all, in verses one to two is what I would call the rendezvous. That, I mean, the moment she goes in to talk to her husband. It says, now it came about on the third day, after they had been uh, praying, uh, that Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace and in front of the king's rooms, and the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. So learn from her. Uh, she, she spends three days in prayer and fasting along with all of her friends and entourage. The nation prays for her, the Jews in captivity. And then on day three, she says, I, I've been prayed up, now I am pumped up and... Now I'm wised up. I'm going to see what God wants me to do. But I know I had to talk to my husband about this Holocaust that Haman wants to bring against the Jewish people. So she gets to work. Um, she knows her husband has weaknesses. Every, are you married? Yes. Does your husband have weaknesses? Probably. You, you get quiet at the most bizarre times. Um, no, he's, he's perfect, isn't he? Uh, ask him. He'll, he'll tell you. Um, so he had weaknesses, uh, like any man does. Uh, he, he, he had a weakness for what the wife looked like, because we saw this with his first wife, Vashti, right? He had problems with her, because she, you know, she didn't do what I wanted her to do. And so he got rid of her and, and went on to the next wife, and they had the whole beauty pageant, and then chose uh, you know, uh, Esther because of what she looked like. Um, and so he, what does she do when she comes to see him? It's a matter of life or death. She puts on her best clothes. She looks stunning, She's got on the finest clothes that are in her wardrobe, and she comes out and hits the marbled floor, and she's looking down the hallway that was lined with uh, what they estimate were 36 uh, columns that were uh, 65 feet high. Imagine, that she's at one end, husband's at the other on a throne, sitting there with the scepter. She's looking down that hallway with all those massive columns, and she's thinking, this is life or death. I either get the scepter or I get the sword. Imagine the tension. So when you look at verse 2, you can see the tension is going to be removed. Because it says it happened when the king saw the queen standing in the court. What happened? She obtained favor in his sight. So in our vernacular, he saw her and he went what? Mm-hmm. That is my wife. Wow, she's stunning. And so, um, sorry to add to the text, but I kind of think that's probably what happened. Um, but you can, you can ask Mordecai and Esther when you get there. But... Um, but just imagine, she's at, she's at the other end thinking, I'm going to walk down there, and it's life or death. So she probably was thinking to herself, what kind of mood's he in? Because he's kind of moody. Sometimes he executes people when they ask him, could you deliver my sons from battle? Because I've already lost four sons. Or whatever. He's been brutal, and she, he drinks a lot, and he's unpredictable, etc. She doesn't know, but she goes anyway because uh, she was prayed up. She's pumped up, and she's wise up for what God wanted. She wanted her to go talk to the king, her husband. Um, and so what the king didn't understand is what she was up to. Because she had a bigger plan than, than his. Uh, in Proverbs 21, verse 1, uh, the king did not know this. And what does Proverbs 21, 1 say? The king's heart, or pull that out and put the word politician in there. Okay? Because of where we live. The politician's heart, or the king's heart, is like the channels of water in the hand of who? The Lord. Uh, he turns it wherever he wishes. King didn't understand this one. There's my wife. She's coming to me. She's, guys, she's going to ask me a question. Uh, I don't know what she wants. Uh, and and, and it's, not going to be, it's not going to be death for Esther. Why? Well, well, because God has control of this situation. 
See, just when you think the world is spinning out of control, all hope is lost and evil couldn't get any worse and all that kind of stuff, you got to realize that God is in control of the politicians. This is a whole other sermon. Uh, but just think about it. I mean, because, okay, did the king have a free will? Yeah, he had a free will. He had a free will. But who's alongside the king kind of helping him out to accomplish what he wants done? God. So just transfer that to where we live. If, you, if you're all frustrated with the world in which we live uh, and the immorality and the law breaking, all the things that you see, but, but God has his hand on all of that. Why? Because the king is coming. And he's coming, as we just sang, for his bride. And so just keep that in mind. So we see this rendezvous between the, the, the king uh, and the queen. It says in verse 3, the response uh, says the, queen said, the king said to her uh, because, because she got the scepter. I mean, he stuck it out for her and she touched it. And the queen, king said to her, I got two questions. Number one, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? Uh, and two, what do you want? <laughs> I know you didn't just come here for no reason. What, what do you want? He says, I tell you what, I'll give you half the kingdom. Just ask me. Amen. This is a great way to think about your relationship right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If your wife comes to you today after church, after lunch, and just says, sweetie, could we talk? Hey, what do you want, baby? Up to half of whatever we got in the bank account. You know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, this guy is magnanimous, right? He he's, he's, he's can't believe she, there she is. Life or death is on the line. It must be something big what she wants. What, what does she want? Um, what an offer. I'll give you half the kingdom. What, what's troubling you? This also tells you as a man, he could read his wife. Men, can you read your wife? Why are you so quiet now? Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah. I've been married 43 years. I, I think I'm, well, she's here. I, I think I can read her, kind of. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I've, I've gotten better. I've, you know, I've, I've, times when I haven't. But, but as a man, you want to be able to read your wife. Like, how's she doing? What did I just say? Was that, should I have said that? Should I have not said that? I mean, you kind of learn as you go along, don't you, men? They're so quiet. Um, <laughs> But, but he, he, he could see that something was troubling her. Like, honey, you know, what's going on? Um, now, what he doesn't realize is, uh, is, is God is working on him to put in his mind the question. Uh, and what's interesting on her, from her perspective, this response, is that she knows that God's going to be with her because she's prayed up, she's pumped up to stand there, and she's getting wisdom while she's eyeballing the situation as to what's God going to do in this situation. Proverbs 16, 7 says... When a man, or you could say a woman, when a man's ways or a woman's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his men enemies to be at peace with him. Do you believe it? I do. She did. That I can go into my husband's throne room, life or death on the line, and I, I, I prayed about this. I know God wants me to do this. So God is going to be with me. He's going to take somebody who could be my enemy because I've seen how he acts, acts sometimes, and he will make him to have shalom toward me, peace. So I don't know what your situation is that you're facing where God placed you like Harriet was placed at her life to do something about slavery. Esther was do, placed to do something about a coming Holocaust. Wherever God has placed you and you're surrounded by evil, powerful people, don't be afraid because God says, if you walk intimately with me, then I'm going before you. And even those who you think are enemies, I'll work in their lives to put them at peace with you. The request in the next verse in verse four is interesting. Notice what she says. Uh, if it please the king, may the king and Haman come to this, this day to the banquet that I have prepared for them. <laughs> you know, when I was reading this verse, I'm thinking to myself as a man, what? Because think about it. The king had power of life or death, right? Scepter or sword. 
And the wife just approached it without an invitation, which is against the law of the Persians. You're not supposed to do that, but she did it anyway. So he's got to be thinking, man, she's got some kind of request to put her life on the line. Uh, so I wonder what she wants. What does she want? Uh, could you come to a dinner party? <laughs> Serious? You risked your life over a dinner party? Who do, you, who do you want at this dinner party? Who did she want at the dinner party? The king and Haman. Two people at the dinner party. That's it. Uh, I just want two people at the dinner party. Now, what she knows is Haman, the anti-Semite who hates the Jews, uh, because they're, they're the ones that are going to bring the Messiah. So this is demonic in nature. All anti-Semitism is. Um, it, it's, it's a hatred of the Jews who are of, uh, that's where the Messiah came from. But the Messiah is coming. So the anti-Semitism from Haman's heart is coming from the devil. Uh, but he's arrogant. He's a prideful man. It's full of power. Uh, and she knows he has stratospheric pride. So what she's going to do is she's going to set up a scenario to elevate his pride even greater so that God can then deal with him. And she decides to use a dinner party. Now, you've got to stop and ask yourself, doesn't God do things in strange ways sometimes? Isn't that the truth? I mean, you thought this and God did this and you're like, huh? And that worked. Like when they, how did he take down Jericho? Like how did they take down Jericho? Have you read the story? I just want you to walk around it, you know, a couple times, you know, and then on the seventh day, this many times, and then, oh yeah, yeah, blow the trumpets and, you know, then the walls will fall. <laughs> yeah, sure. Did it work? Yeah, sure did. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, how about, I want you to deliver the Israelites from bondage, and the Egyptian army is the greatest army on the planet, and your slaves are, there's no way that you're getting out. So I'm going to send an 80-year-old man to deliver you. Oh, yeah. That's good. Did that work? Yeah, that, that, yeah, that worked. Um, he, during the time of the judges, God says, I want to deliver you from the Philistines, so I'm going to bring a young man on the scene. His name is going to be Samson. I'm going to empower him with the spirit. He's going to have long hair, uh, Nazarite, total power from the Spirit of God. And he's going to take on the Philistines, and he's not going to have a weapon. Hmm, that, that sounds like a great plan. What's he going to use? Uh, well, at one point, he's going, to, he's going to use the jawbone of a donkey. That's going to be his weapon. Huh? Did that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, God wants to choose a king after Saul was such a terrible king. And God wants to choose a king. So he sends Samuel the prophet, you know, uh, uh, you know to, to uh, Jesse's home to find the king. And, and Samuel walks in and sees all the sons there. And uh, he's like, oh, he's strapping young man. He, no, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. Got any more sons? Well, yeah, there's the youngest one. David's out back tending the sheep while you're looking at all my big muscular sons. What happened? Who'd they pick? David. Why? He had a heart after God. So what I just tell you, how God does things is not how we would normally do things. That's why you got to get prayed up, pumped up, and then wised up because God's wisdom for your situation, how you handle it, it may not be how you anticipate. And so keep that in mind. She throws a lavish party. The response in verse five, verse five, the king said, this is funny. If, you, if anybody ever says the Bible's boring, you got to read it. What did the king say when she said it's party time? What did he say? Bring Haman. What's the next word? Quickly. Quickly. Uh, that he may do as uh, Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. He's thinking party. We're thinking wine, food. We're in. 
they're not even realizing. They are playing the devil's game, Haman is, to wipe out the Jews. She's playing for the king of kings, God. And she's going to do it through a dinner party. Uh, the request, or most interesting, verses 6 to 8, uh, which I call the request. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What's your petition? For it shall be granted unto you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom. Remember, I told you, I'll give you half the kingdom. I know you didn't just throw this dinner party for no reason. There has to be something you want. I'll give you half the kingdom. Notice, she's not worried about getting power and control, you know, like politicians are. No, she's worried about caring for those who are downtrodden and facing death, her people. And so they're, they're drinking. And so uh, she has a, an amazing example here of bobbing and weaving. So remember, we will review again. When you're facing an evil situation or a person, how do you handle that situation? You must do three things. You must get prayed up. You must then get pumped up by the Spirit and then wised up. So God, what do you want me to do? So she says, God, what do you want me to do? God's putting on her heart, throw a party. Elevate the pride of Haman. And no, no, do something else. Bob and weave. She's going she's gonna to bob and weave. It says in verse 7, uh, she said, uh, well, my answer is this. My petition and my request is, here's what I want. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition to do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow uh, I will do as the king says. Hello? <laughs> if you were the king... What are you thinking? She risked her life over a dinner party for me and him. And and what does she want? She's not asking for half the kingdom. She's asking for another dinner party. Don't you find that kind of bizarre? What is she doing? She's very clever. What she's doing is she's playing on the pride of Haman because his weakness is his pride. Uh, This is so wise. When I, when I play, played baseball, and this is before computers, remember? When electricity was still new. But when I played baseball, like we were in the dugout, and there were really dugouts back then, remember? They were underground, and you were like eye level with the field. Well, back in the day, we would have one guy down at the bench with a, with a pad, and he kept track of every person on the other team when they batted. So you knew, he, when you went out there to pitch, that guy, number 35, he can't take an inside fastball. That guy right there, he, you can get him on a changeup every time. That guy, you know, he always hits the left field. So position, do you know what I mean? Does anybody understand this? So what are you doing? You're playing to whatever their weakness was, and, and, that, and then that's what you did. And so that's exactly what she's doing. She knows he's prideful, and so she's playing to his pride by saying, uh, I, I, would, I would like an, another party. Risky. That was extremely risky. Why? Because if she waits another day, her husband's mood can change. And he's amicable today, but tomorrow it might be another thing. But she's putting that in the hands of God. Why? She's prayed up, she's pumped up, and she's wised up. She's, my husband's kind of going the way I think he should go. And so she uses the weakness of Haman against him to elevate his pride. Uh, This is what we would call the ripple, okay? I call it it the ripple. Uh, Things are going great for him in verse 9. says, uh, when Haman went out that day, uh, he was glad and he was pleased of heart. He was excited. Why? Uh, the queen invited just me to the party. Serious? Uh, yeah, j- j- yeah, just me. No one else. King and queen, just me. Uh, he, he's, he's happy. And when he left the, the dinner party, uh, things didn't go well. What happened? He's going out the gate and he happens to see who? Mordecai. Mordecai. 
the Jew, and he can't stand Jews. So he sees Mordecai there, and it says he did not stand up or tremble before Haman, and Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Think of your Haman. I just passed an edict to not only wipe you out, but to wipe out all of your people a year from now. I'm doing psychops on you. We're going to take you all out. And there's Mordecai. Instead of trembling in Haman's presence, he's like, oh, I see you. <laughs> they did that back then. I see you. I'm, I'm not bowing before you. Why? You're an Amalekite. Because I remember who you are from Moses. You are the people who hunted down men, women, and children, the diseased, the elderly, etc. When we were going through the wilderness and you picked them off. I, I remember you. And God's going to deal with you. He's not afraid of him. Which uh, in, your, in your vernacular says, when you take on evil, uh, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Because the Lord is going before you. So this wicked man all of a sudden has a little ripple in his life that, hey, I think things are going great. Queen really loves me. Uh, yeah, but I still got this problem. He retreats in verses 10 to 14 as we close out the passage. It says Haman controlled himself. He didn't let his anger get the best of him in public. Uh, he, however, he went to his house and he sent for his wife, uh, his friends, and his wife, Zeresh. Uh, then Haman recounted to them the glory. This is unbelievable. The glory of his riches. The number of his sons, the, in every instance where the king magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and the servants of the king, Haman also said, notice the arrogance of this, even Esther the queen, let no one but me uh, come with the king to the banquet, which he had prepared. And tomorrow, <laughs> I'm invited to a second one. Is this, have you ever run into somebody that all they do is talk about themselves? Not at our church. We are dripping with humility. It's that person that's like, would you quit talking about yourself all the time? I mean, that is like all you do, you know? I went to pick a school. Harvard. Harvard. Well, yeah. I went to Harvard or Yale or, or whatever. And I got this degree and I got that degree and I became an attorney and I worked for this firm. And then, then I eventually solved all these cases and made all this, you know, and then, and then, and then uh, now I, I'm part of the firm and I have a Porsche and I have this and I have that. And and you're sitting there listening to him, thinking to yourself, so? <laughs> so, a man's, a man's worth does not consist in the things that he owns. It, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but that's how the, the, the world in which we live exists. That's the world in which DC kind of rolls. It's like, how much power and position do you have? You know, who picks you up to take you to work in the morning? A limo, armed guards. I have neighbors, this happens. Armed vehicle shows up to pick up the individual in my neighborhood to take them to work. Um, because of, because of who they are, uh, you know, and they don't, they don't ride on normal airplanes because they have special airplanes. And, and, and one of them that just retired in my neighborhood, I asked him, now that you're retired and don't have access to all that, what are you thinking about? That I'm going to have to be in the line at Southwest? <laughs> he was laughing when he told me because it's like, hey, welcome to my world. But it's that kind of person. It's like, it's all their stuff, special, special restaurants, who they're hanging out with. The other day, I was reading the news, because I read the news at lunch when I'm, you know, eating my lunch, and I read the news, and it's like, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Hello! Is there anything else going on in the country? Now, I'm not saying she can't sing and all that kind of stuff, but, I, you know, I'm just not there. But when it came, when it came down to the, I'll probably get a whole bunch of emails. I can't believe you were talking about, but, but, but you think about it. Taylor Swift, very successful, right? Very wealthy. Do you know who she's dating, by the way? See, oh, we're out of touch. Yeah. Anyway, it's like, how many times were they in Australia? Did they go to the zoo? Did they kiss a koala bear? I mean, I don't care. I don't care. But, 
Imagine if, if you got a phone call from her handler. Uh, Taylor would like you to come to the Super Bowl, you know, and she's rented a special room. They're going to have a huge after, you know, after the game party. Would you tell anybody? Why are you so quiet? <laughs> yeah, you become, you can't believe it. Yeah, uh, let's switch her because I might be too, too convicting. Let's switch to Tim, Kim, uh, Kim Kardashian. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, that's all I ever do is see stuff about her story, 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 who's she dating, what's she doing, how, what kind of car is she driving. It's stuff I see all the time. Uh, this week, I ran into her, on her, saw her on her $150 million airplane. $150 million airplane. I couldn't even afford the gas for like 30 minutes. But could you imagine if she called you up and said, yeah, yeah, we were kind of jetting off to, you know, wherever, Aruba, wherever. Hey, would you like to join us? It's just going to be me, you, and one other person. You wouldn't want to tell other people? You see how vain people are? This is Haman. He's like, have you considered my life? He says, I mean, think about it. He says, I'm loaded in what we just read. He says, I'm loaded. I'm fertile. I have 10 sons. Uh, and in their culture, that was important. That was a Persian thing. Uh, he says, I am somebody. Uh, I am powerful and I am special. Why? I got invited to not just one dinner with the queen and the king, two. Which the implication is, how many did you get to come to? See, you're a nobody. You know, what is really interesting is none of that matters. Did you hear me? No, none of that really matters. Because like, there's a story. As I was studying this this week, I was thinking of the, uh, the, the rich, wealthy farmer that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12, where the guy has so many barns, he's got to build more to make more money, and he's just living, living the high life. And the Lord says in the parable that the man was a fool. Why? He thought life consisted of all the things that you own, who you were. And though the Lord says the guy's a fool. Why? Because he's rich toward men, but not toward God. Translated, he'd rejected the Christ and accepted all the things the devil offers and thought that, you know, all the things that you hang on to in this old world, you ain't taking them. It's, it's, it's going to be you in the next life. You either knew Christ or you didn't know him. What matters is uh, where you laid up your treasure on the earth or on, on, uh, in the heavenlies. See, Haman was a man of the earth. He it was all about power and position, who he knew, what parties he got invited to. And this one young, very smart lady invited him to two parties to build up his pride so that God could deal with him because, well, what comes with pride? A fall, a big one. It says in verse 13, yet all of this did not satisfy me. Uh, every time I see Mordecai, the Jew sitting at the king's gate, what he just said, all that I just told you about myself, Haman says, it doesn't satisfy me because there's a Jew I can't stand. If, if something could be done with him, I would just be so much better. And so he goes and he talks to his, um, his wife and his friends. They are as evil as he is. Behind every evil man, is an evil woman, most likely. It's just an observation. I might be wrong, but it's possible. Ephesians 5, not Ephesians. Uh, Esther 5 says this, verse 14. Then Zeresh, his evil wife, and all of his friends said to him, what's their, what's their word of counsel? Have a gallows 50 cubits high made in the morning. Ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the king's banquet. Murder and merriment, enjoy it to the fullest. And the advice was given to Haman, and how do you accept it? Hey, great idea. Get the construction artist, you know, call the county. 
uh, get it cleared so we can put this thing up. Uh, you know, I know they have laws, rules, and regulations about where the, what we can put. But get a gallows. And remember, I'm telling you, when I'm talking gallows here, do not think Clint Eastwood movies. And Clint Eastwood, you know, the cowboy. Uh, don't think of a cowboy movie with gallows with a noose. Think of uh, a 70 to 75 foot pole carved out of a tree, skinned, made into a point like a toothpick. And they, would, they invented crucifixion, by the way, the Persians. And then they impaled you on that. And then they dropped that thing into a hole. And they raised you up 70 to 75 feet. And you, you hung there on that till you died in the, in the sun. He says, do, do that to Mordecai and life will be so much better. Uh, no, not, no, life would not be so much better. Because you are attacking God's man. And God is always going to protect his man. See, what the, what the wicked fail to realize is whatever evil plans that they propose to do, wherever it is in the government, in the school system, in your family, whatever it is that they're proposing to do, they do not understand that God still understands lex talionis. You know what that is? What is it? It's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Or whatever you sow, you will reap. Or in our vernacular, what goes around <laughs> comes around. And so what he doesn't understand is the evil that you propose, God's going to bring it back on your own head. He does it in two ways. He either does it in the here and now and allows righteousness to be moved forward. Or there's coming the day when he's going to settle the score with a big reversal when, when the king of kings shows up. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about it. He says to the, the godless in the future, he says, enter into the rock. You know, go hide in a cave when the Lord shows up. Try to. Hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man, arrogance like Haman's arrogance, shall be humbled. The haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts shall come, and, and he will come upon everything that is proud and lofty, and everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. There's coming a day when the arrogance of man that is so nauseating is humbled when the king of kings appears. And you will either bow in adoration of him or bow in absolute terror because you had rejected him. See, Haman had not only rejected God, he was out to kill all of God's people. And God says, no, I, I protect my people through the bravery of, well, one woman well-positioned. And what was God calling her to do? It's test time. You ready? She had to get ready for the moment by doing three things. She had to get prayed up. She had to get pumped up. And she, she had to get wised up, didn't she? And her wisdom was, God wants me to use my abilities to throw a dinner party to deal with this guy. Don't tell me God doesn't work through food. Because <laughs> he did here. What is your situation? I don't know what your situation is. If you are the Haman type, uh, you've rejected God and think the things of the world will give you satisfaction. No, they won't. They will always leave you feeling hopelessness. Only hope and great joy comes from knowing God. That was Mordecai and Esther. But if you're a Christian, whatever your situation is, whatever evil it is that you face, God wants you to get prayed up and pumped up and then wised up and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he will show you exactly what you need to do. And then what should happen? You go do it. That's what Harriet did. That's what Esther did. Let's stand. God, thank you for the opportunity to study ancient narrative literature that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
recounting uh, the lives of great saints who faced great evil. Uh, we can relate to them in so many different ways. Teach us to rise up to the, equi- uh, the, to the situation you've placed before us and do what you've called us to do with great compassion and conviction realizing you'll be with us all the way. And for those who don't know you, uh, who cling to the things of this old world, uh, may they understand the importance of clinging to the the nail-scarred feet of the Savior Jesus and find salvation and meaning in life there. In Jesus' name, amen.